0: Welcome podcast listeners to The Spheres Podcast. I'm your host, Toby Castle. Spheres is a public theology podcast that helps successful people live more philosophically by creating brave spaces of shared meaning. Each episode features an extended interview with a different athlete, scholar, educator, entrepreneur, politician or activist and how they think theologically and live well in society. Enjoy. In this episode, I speak with good mate, entrepreneur, and CEO of the Smithy Group, Ben Smithy. We discuss the ideas around calling, vocation, creativity, and mentoring. Ben is based in New York City and married to Nicole. Ben's firm, the Smithy Group seeks to inspire and encourage people to create generational success. Ben's personal vision is framed around three key insights, honor God, serve people, and steward capital. Formed around these three realities, and seeks to cultivate intentional spaces that recognizes that healthy things grow and growing things change. This conversation is a true joy that brings good thinking, hope, creativity, and life to the ideas and practices of vocation, leadership, stewardship, and faith. I hope you enjoy this playful conversation. Hey Ben, thanks for joining us, and um, it is a real privilege for me to have you on here. Not only because our our wives are good friends, but also because uh, I know that moment you and I first really met over Zoom. I think I think our wives realised that we actually made more <laughs> filler, more filler <laughs> than they probably would have liked, and maybe our friendship will, when we go play golf or things like that, will actually take over theirs.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. It's an honor to be here and excited. Uh, as you said, just it's it's funny how life works and um, how God pieces it all together.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I feel that we're going to have a fun conversation. Um, but as we begin, I'm intrigued. Um, as you engage in like your daily life and, you know, uh, as like a creative, an entrepreneur, you know uh an individual who's kind of prominent in corporate and Christian spaces what does it mean for you to live philosophically
1: um that's a big question that's a five-hour podcast uh but we'll try to answer in 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 a statement uh or a series of statements I feel like for me the calling on my life or sort of the why behind my life is also the mission of my company, right? To inspire and empower people to create generational success, right? Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but in the sense that whether it's my family life, my work life, my spiritual life, life in general, friendships, all of that sort of, I I see that all kind of as one. I'm, I'm not very good at, in one way, I'm really good at compartmentalizing things, but in other ways, I'm not because I feel like if we're Honoring God and and I the, the three buckets I steal from my mentor, Pete Oakes So honor God, serve people, steward capital. Right. I think those are the big three things that we're called to do. And I'm called to do that. Obviously, honoring God is always at the top. I believe if you're a believer, regardless of what you're doing, honoring God is always at the top of the priority list or should be if our priorities are in, intact. Um, and, and so I just happen to do it through entrepreneurship. Right, inspire and empower people to create generational success. I try to do that personally through my friendships and relationships. I try to do that uh with Nicole as, as my wife, um, and eventually our family. I try to do that through business with my employees and my team, right? And I try to do it through consulting with our clients, right? So all of these things to me it boils down to that. So if you say how do I live out faith through work, it's through inspiring and empowering people to create generational success.
0: That's good. Tell me, how did you get into your work? Like you run. Uh, the Smitty Group, mm-hmm. uh, which began in 2015, but uh, from my reading didn't really kind of get going until 2016. Yeah, uh, and what was the lead up to where you are now? Maybe from the moment you graduated college.
1: Yeah, so I graduated college December 2007. Um, went to work uh, for a guy in. I grew up in Texas graduated with a marketing degree, but spent all of my time in the school of music, playing jazz, uh, playing saxophone. That's how I worked my way through school. And that's where I really learned. I feel like I really learned business um, was on uh, entrepreneurship was really through playing music, right? Uh, show up on time, be easy to work with, wear the right clothes, um, know how to improvise your butt off and you're only as good as your last gig, right? That's that's the key to, to entrepreneurship right there. Um, so I graduated, moved to Philly, uh started working uh for my first boss i was the first employee at the company we did pharmaceutical research uh for for marketing research um and i was his first employee uh he mentored me i learned so much i learned so much about marketing research and uh entrepreneurship and, and things from from him um worked for him for a year and a half and we decided to uh start a company together he went from my boss to my business partner Uh, So we started a research company. Uh, It was one of the first millennial-focused qualitative research companies uh, in the industry. Um, And that's where we worked. We started working with all the the big companies out there in the world. So General Mills, Coke, McDonald's, DeMonte, you name it. Traveling around the world talking about um, how social media was going to change the consumer landscape, how millennials were going to change the consumer landscape, and how marketing and advertising was going to change forever so that was successful we, we built that up uh i left that company in 2014 the all the years run together 2014 moved to new york um helped some friends of mine start a uh an events company a conferences company where we did innovation and marketing conferences did that for a year and went out to consulting on my own again i you said the smithy group um is the name of the company and it was ironic because i was never going to hire employees it was just going to be me I was the group. It was just going to be me, you know. I, had, I didn't want to do payroll. I didn't want to do all that. I just wanted to consult on my own, and then God radically redirected that. Uh, I'm on record. Like I, I had a meeting. I got asked to speak uh, at Visionaries. So I go to Liberty Church here in New York City. I got asked to speak at Visionaries, which is our professional development community for the church. Which I'm now the director of. Uh, I'm telling you, it all goes full circle. Um, but. And I was talking to Matt and Don Sadler, and Don was running it at the time, and she asked me to uh, speak at Visionaries. And I said, oh, it's, yeah, the Smithy Group. And I was like, but I'm never gonna hire anybody. It's just gonna be me. And that was February, I think 2016, before I spoke in there. And in in April, at that Visionaries event is where I first met Nicole, my wife. So it all, like I said, it all works together. And, but then started TSG, was serving on a welcome team at liberty and one of the guys that i was uh, serving with um his wife i was like hey yeah i can get some extra side work and throw her some side work and then boom uh he was like oh something about his agency so i i threw him some extra side work and then all of a sudden they came on board and then i met alex who is uh the glue that holds the smithy group together um who is also nicole's business partner for iridescent uh (laughs) alex she runs operations for the company and she's the one that made the group really into an organization and here we are today so we're 14 people large um really started growing a company since 2016 uh to now and we're the leaders in the fine jewelry space. So very niche in that way, Um, but do a lot of work inside and outside of the jewelry industry as well.
0: That's good. So from that I picked up that you and I both play saxophone.
1: Yes, used to. I, I, it's hard for me to say it that I play now because I, I don't play that often. And it's like, I was playing so much that I could tell if I didn't practice for a few days, like I could, I could tell it. And then to now play, it's hard to consider myself a saxophone player. When I don't play, and I recognize the the dedication it takes to do it well.
0: Well, Ben, my saxophone is in Australia still, so I haven't played in fifteen months. Um, So when it comes over to the US,
1: we can jam, man. I like it.
0: We'll do it, and Kelly and Nicole will be like, "Um, I thought we were friends. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm intrigued. Like you said, that millennial specific now. Do you mean like the age group of millennials?
1: Yeah, that's what we were really focused on is helping companies understand um, this newfound millennial age group at the time. And so we help people do you know, store designs of the future, how to understand social media for research and insights. You know, when social media first came out, everybody thought it was stupid because what was what were people posting on Twitter and Facebook? Like if you looked at Twitter and Facebook, what po- people posted about, I'm going to the bathroom or uh, here's what I'm eating for lunch.
0: Exactly.
1: But in my line of work for marketing research, that's a gold mine because people or companies are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure out what you're eating for lunch, why you like it, take a picture of it, all that type of stuff. So I realized immediately, right, what is stupid to some people is a gold mine for the research industry. And and that's where we started building on. We launched some of the first social media research projects in the industry for people. And it it was really awesome.
0: So there seems to be this kind of complexity in the creative corporate world. On the one hand, it's really progressive, like what you're doing. And on the other hand, it's quite conservative. Can you kind of speak into the complexity that you needed to navigate as you kind of grew and, uh, you know, pushed boundaries?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you're absolutely right when it comes to the potential for complexities and the necessity to navigate the complexities multiple times throughout your career as an entrepreneur and specifically as a believer that's running a company and a creative space or progressive space or whatever you want to, whatever we want to call it. But to me, it all boiled down to one decision. And from then on, that becomes your objective truth to, to, to play against and to make a decision against. And for me, it was easy. Like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll give people the benefit of the doubt here of, of realizing too I'm not an executive at a large company. I'm not an employee at a large company. I'm not an employee of someone else's company. I am the Smithy of the Smithy Group. So therefore, the one thing I am entitled to is to decide, am I going to take on this business or not? Am I going to work with this company or not? Am I going to say this or not? So therefore, for me, I made a decision early on that I am blatantly open about my faith unapologetic, not hitting people over the heads with Bibles, but just open to who I am. And I was always gonna be open and truthful to who I am. So therefore, if I know that again, honor God, serve people, steward capital, those type of things, if I know that it's to inspire and empower people to create generational success, I knew that was gonna be through a faith-based lens, right, in my life. So therefore, when I had to decide if I'm open about my faith on social media or as a company or standing up for being outspoken about things that I believe are aligned with my faith when it comes to racial injustice, when it comes to all the things that I believe are integral to being a believer, right, then I'm okay. I never have to worry about should I post this, should I not post this, should I say this, should I not say this? As a company, do we give to this, do we not give to this? Because I made that decision a long time ago when I started my own company that this is who I am, I'm going to be transparent about this stuff. And I understand now, and here's where people people generally can get to that side of the statement of like, oh, okay, I want to do this. But they have a hard, t- hard time swallowing the pill that comes with that of, am I going to offend some people or am I going to lose some business or am I going to not be able to take on certain work because of that? So if you're wanting to say yes to the first one, you're also saying yes to the second one. And there's no separating it. You can't expect the world to treat you one way, but you get to speak another way, Right so that's the decision i made so yes it is a series of decisions as opportunities come up here or there but ultimately it comes back to i made the decision a long time ago this is how it's going to be this is how i'm running this is this is what i feel called to do
0: and so how has this impacted you personally and professionally over the last maybe six to nine months especially with the rise of asian here in the us
1: it just gives me an opportunity like you know the saying what we do today dictates what we get to say tomorrow. Right. And I think that when it came and it starts before that it, we were, we were just having this conversation because I left the meeting, our internal marketing meeting for our own content plan and all that type of stuff beforehand. And I think it goes through several filters Is one is, is what we say authentic to who we are, right. Is how we say it authentic to the brand and the, the, the voice that's actually saying it. Right. And is that calling people to do something that we feel is on mission. So for me personally, on my own social, the stop Asian hate's easy for me to post about because I'm Asian, right? It makes sense, nobody's gonna question that, right? As an organization, when we talk about racial injustice at at large, and let's say even 12, 16, 18 months ago, right? when a lot of companies, and I know it seems so funny, to, not funny, but I, it's amusing to you probably that people, uh, we, we talk about racial injustice for the past 18 months or whatever, when you've been doing it for years, years. And personally, right? And there's there's evidence, there's there's archive proof of it, like look at your feed, right? <laughs> look at Toby's feed and you'll see it. But when you look at this as an organization, we had to do some, it was not a question of were we are gonna say something or not, it was, how are we going to say something in a way that was authentic to our belief system, authentic to who we are as an organization, our role. In, we're not a news network. We're not a, a, a political party or anything like that. But we wanted to do something that was in a way. Uh, so we talked about from a, a marketing standpoint of why companies need to speak up, how they should appropriately speak up in certain situations. Um, and oh, and here's what we're doing behind the scenes as well, right? So. It's just, it gives you a guiding light and it also gives you a light for the team. The thing I was proud about was when we had this meeting and we talk about things as a team, nobody pushed back. I didn't get any DMs on Slack afterward and says, Hey, you know, I really think we shouldn't be doing this. Or, Hey, have you second thought, had second thoughts about this or this? The team was like, Hey, this is excellent. How do we do more of this? Or or yada, yada, yada. And so that gets to the big organization of not just what we're saying, but how are we hiring people? Are we hiring the right culture to, you know, because... It would have been a real shock to the system to have a divisiveness in the team about what should we should be saying as a marketing organization, as an agency on these topics, because it would have mean we, we didn't really hire for the right cultural
0: fit. I think what you just lifted up demonstrates the depth, not only of thought, word, but also deep. That it's not merely formative social media posts. And it's, and it's not a thin understanding of how to engage uh, not only personally but as an organization. But you demonstrate uh, I guess what we I would call like a thick theological but also theopractical theopraxis understanding of what it means to contend with and for others in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 fundamental. It shouldn't be in in my opinion, right, justice is fundamental to faith. Yes. And to me, there's like it it shouldn't have even been a question, right? It should be a non a non-discussion point, but unfortunately that's not the case because we live in a in an imperfect world.
0: We do. Could you break down for me, like is running the smoothie group you're calling, or is it a job or is it your vocation? What is what is Ben's kind of uh, breakdown of like, you know, these things that people may have a tendency of overcomplicating?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's it, because a lot of people heard what you've said, is it your job, your calling, your vocation, and they just heard that as one thing. They heard you saying the same thing multiple ways, mm-hmm. and that becomes an issue with today, y'all use the air quotes with like Christians today, especially Christians today in the workplace, yep. right? Calling, my calling may have some impact on, but it does not dictate my career, my job, my position, my role. That said, people connect calling in career as one and therefore they're constantly swayed by the wind, it seems like, or they feel called to this or called to that or whatever it may be. Look, God called me to inspire, inspire and empower people to create generational success, right? If people should have their counter right now on how many times I've said that in this podcast, but that's it. And so they've, when I've been called to that, I happen to do it through marketing. I happen to do it through being a CEO. I also do it through leading visionaries at Liberty. I also do it through being a husband. I also do it through being a mentor, an advisor, all of these different things. I am using my job, my role, my career to live out my calling, right? I don't feel like God necessarily called me to be CEO of the Smithy Group, right? I think he called me to honor him, serve people, steward capital well, and do that through inspiring and empowering people, right? So in that sense, I've chosen to use my platform, my business as a way to live out my calling, right? I think that my business is my ministry. I don't think that, I know that. I treat it like that, right? And that doesn't mean that I am a missionary. It doesn't mean that I am a nonprofit organization. I am a for-profit business that is using my business to live out God's calling on my life.
0: Yeah. So how then does that flow into your vocation? What is Ben's vocation?
1: My vocation is, to me, my vocation is, is. It, it's funny because my vocation in some ways is is minister, right? And, and, and in some ways, um, when it comes to, you know, visionaries or when it comes to being a, a husband or when it comes to those things um but vocationally i guess people could say i'm bi-vocational in a certain way but i, I just don't see the world that way i see that my vocation is entrepreneur maybe yeah business person
0: yeah <laughs> both all of it,
1: both yeah
0: all wrapped into one now you and i can't have a conversation unless we dwell on the role that Kelly for me and Nicole for you plays in our life. Yeah. I'm curious, being married to like, you know, such a talented entrepreneur and um, resourced and intelligent, uh, you know, Bible teacher like Nicole, how has she formed and framed and shaped you since you guys, okay.
1: Yeah. Um- that may be an even bigger question than the, the, the mission question. <laughs> so I, I think a couple things, um, and I'll think of more probably as we go, but the first lesson was before we even, before we even really got married or started dating because it was one of the first times that God, like there's only a couple times that God really spoke to me. I hear from God through wisdom and knowledge, right? Yep. Like the Holy Spirit speaks to me through wisdom and knowledge. And not necessarily audibly, like some people audibly hear from God. Some people see God, some people like, you know what I mean? Um, so for me to audibly hear from God is, is it's one of those things that you can't really just like, Oh, let me think about that. <laughs> so when we first started dating, I went out, Nicole and I went out one time and then it was three months until our second date. And most people then would be like, wow, you're really lucky dude. <laughs> and I am <laughs> because it was very much that God very much spoke to me. And I heard from God saying like, this is for you, right? But I was I was really heard that I needed to figure out what I was willing to lay down and let go of in order to keep up, right? Because at, at that point in time, I just really, I knew it wasn't gonna be like, I can't use my career to get in the way of commitment. I can't use busyness to get in the way of, um, uh, officiality, right? It's not like, Oh, we're just taking things slow. I'm, I'm really busy. I'm traveling, all this type of stuff. That's not who Nicole is. Right. Um, and that's not the relationship she was going to be in. So I, I, I took note, I counted the costs. I did all the things, right. And decided what I was willing to let go of and what excuses I was willing to lay down in order to pick up a, an amazing partner in life that, that God, I believe God called me to so that was the first thing, and that was that was the lesson I had to learn before we even started dating. <laughs> the second thing is the difference between discipline and devotion. And I used to say that Nicole's the most disciplined person I know, especially when it comes to faith and in being in the word every morning, right? There's this great picture I have of when we're going on our honeymoon. It's like four o'clock in the morning in some time zone on her birthday right? Because she she had her birthday, uh, I won't say which number, uh, on our honeymoon. And it's pitch black on the plane, right? But she has a little reading light on, it's like four or five in the morning, and she's in the word, reading her Bible and praying and journaling. And that's every morning. So she teaches, she's a gifted Bible teacher and pastor and preacher. But it's because She just works at it naturally. There's this saying, right? If you want to paint the perfect picture, make yourself perfect and then paint naturally. Right. And it's, it's, it's a saying, I get it. Don't, don't like chastise me for saying, oh, it's There's no such thing as perfect and all that, but you get the picture. Right. And so the thing is, if she wants to live a a devoted life to Christ, she just becomes devoted and lives naturally. And that's what she does. And so I used to say it was disciplined and I used to mistitle it as saying, oh, she's the most disciplined person I know, but it's not, discipline. It's not something she has to do, it's something that she's devoted to. And I think that's a big lesson for me and for a lot of entrepreneurs or people listening to this is that there's a difference between discipline and devotion. Discipline feels like there's a cost. Devotion feels like there's an opportunity, there's an honor, there's a there's a want and a desire. And so that I would say that's the the second biggest lesson that I've I've learned. Um, and then just constantly every day, it's, a, it's amazing to see, like, her, the way she preps, she's she's talented in so many ways. I just, uh, I can't say enough about uh, the blessings that I have.
0: <laughs> how has that then shaped your role as CEO of the Smithy Group? And as you reflect on the devotion that Nicole has to her craft and to her life, how does that kind of then, lack of a better phrase, bleed into your leadership, and the direction of the community group as like an extension of your devotion.
1: Yeah, I think it shows me, well, first of all, there's an understanding, right? That she she gets devotion and she understands it. She lives it. So therefore I don't ever I've never felt the pressure um to have to pull back or be less or um, like there was just always an understanding, even before she was an entrepreneur, right? Um, when she was in ministry full-time, there was this understanding of she knows what it's like to be devoted. She knows what it's like to be called and, and and doing and living out that calling. So there was never this pressure of like, oh, you you work too much or, oh, you're too focused on this or, oh, what are you doing? There was always that partnership there. Because she understood where we were going and direction, She she was very... She's very comfortable with us running hard in the same direction, um, and so therefore that empowered me to be able to give my best to something and give give my all to something and and building something in others. That's that's great. But the other thing is even just very tangibly, right? She were, we we switched offices during COVID. We got a great deal on a space and we moved into Manhattan. Um, and so she has a desk in our office and the team loves being around her. Like, it's, it's just really cool. She'll, she'll take calls. She'll, she'll be on a call praying for someone or something like that in the office and the team lo- loves it. And, you know, it used to be early on where I knew like all of our team members and stuff went to the same church and we all went, but it's not that way anymore. There's a, a diverse set of everything I'm sure on our team. And so just to have that level of devotion, literally rubbing off on, on people um, and seeing that is great, like, uh, it's just, I think it just, when you find someone that when you are running as hard as you can and you look left and right, and that person's right there running as hard as they can with you in the same direction, um, it just unlocks a, wholly, uh, like a, a whole different level of like, I guess, opportunity in life.
0: So as you run hard and she runs hard, and you both run hard together, how do you rest? How does, how does Ben, as a high mm-hmm. performer, running, I'm going to assume a multi-million dollar business. Mm-hmm. How do you sew back into yourself um, in a healthy way? What is some kind of either rules or boundaries or philosophical frameworks you have that allow you to uh, self care?
1: Intentionality is the the um, the answer, right? The short answer. Intentionality is it takes that we are not the type of people that when we're on the road or whatever we're constantly texting or facetiming sometimes we're texting each other like hey where are you again you don't know I need mean? that type of stuff so i mean we we're both we, we we're both in our 30s when we got married you know what i mean we we're living very full independent lives so that we have that going for us and we don't have kids yet so that's a whole nother thing right so those caveats that aside um you mentioned rest how do, how do i rest um running running a company, running uh organizations, boards, things like that. Um, how do I rest? And th- this is something too that there's a difference between, and Nicole and I have been talking about this. There's like honoring the Sabbath is a real deal. And I've been much better at that in terms of, you know, there's one day on the weekend that I'm not, I'm not touching work, right? I, I'm a business, something's gonna come up inadvertently. It just that's a cost of doing business. You gotta do it. But honoring the Sabbath is a real thing. But there's a difference between rest and recharge. Right. I can rest by sleeping in, vegging out on the couch, watching TV with Nicole, right? I can rest like that. Nicole likes to rest by watching TV, doing a puzzle, reading, things like that. That's how she recharges. For me, when I'm resting, my mind is still thinking about work or ideas or when I'm watching TV, I'm thinking, oh, this is the strategy, or oh, that thinks of a new business, right? That's not how I recharge. So that's not really my best like Sabbath honoring thing. The way I recharge is by doing something that takes up my mental capacity. So I play golf, I like snowboarding, I race cars. Like those are the things to me that really recharge me because I'm not thinking about anything else other than that sort of break from work at the time. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. You need to be so kind of immersed in something else that there's no room in your head to think about work. Exactly. He charges you. Yes. yeah Yeah. That's good. What then inspires you to lead? Like, you know, through your through your narrative of like going from college, becoming an entrepreneur, like you're not only leading people, but you also need to lead yourself. So what inspires you to lead and uh who is sh- who has shaped you the most in your leadership development?
1: So the first question: What inspires me to lead? Ironically, it's people, right? Because as a leader, you manage you manage process, but you lead people, right? So as a leader, the same thing that my number one responsibility is the number one thing that inspires me to lead is people, right? At the, even at their worst of times, right? Um, transitions tough. Uh, I, I was telling you right now, you asked me before, like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm good, I feel really blessed, but we're going through transition and change and growth and all that stuff. And you know, healthy things grow and growing things change. So there's inevitable that a lot of changes are happening when you're a leader and there's a real cost to leadership, right? There is a real cost to leadership and that's convenience, ego and selfishness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so even at its hardest times, the people there's still things like i i get to do this i get to lead an amazing team of people i get to create a company i get to live out i get to live out my calling in this way right that's 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 amazing so i'm inspired by people i'm inspired by the world um traveling I, i've gotten a, like leading people has gotten me to travel through like almost 30 countries and six continents like it's amazing right the blessings that come with that way outweigh the costs of leadership to me inspiration, who have been my biggest inspirations for leadership. Um, it's been interesting. I mean, I get my, my heart from my mom, my work ethic from my dad, um, which is funny, because I share zero DNA with them, because I'm adopted. Um, but you are it's very adoptions funny, because you get a very much a nature versus nurture, a, a real ethnographic look at it. Um, so I get that. But then, my music instructors, my music teachers throughout high school and college were big influences in on in my life um, in terms of leadership. Uh, Tim Ishii, who's the direct, who's the director of jazz studies at UT Arlington, um, was a big influence in my life. From an entrepreneur standpoint, he taught me how to be an entrepreneur as a musician, and that shaped a lot of stuff. My first boss, um, he was my boss and my business partner. Then he he taught me so much tactically when it came to business and entrepreneurship and I, I can never thank him enough for that honestly like even in our disagreements or whatever it was like i still just had so much tremendous respect for everything that i learned and it taught me a lot of what i wanted to do how to how to run a company how i wanted to lead a company um some things i took some things i wanted to you know do differently like but the respect is there and then honestly even as of lately like you're never like I'm always surprised by the, I was praying a lot around, you know, I lost my dad when I was 25. Um, and I was praying a lot for someone that was an older mentor that had been there before was a believer led organizations was so undoubtedly good that you can't just question. Like when he says something, it's like, okay, I'm not going to question that he's been there before he's done this, been there, done that, got the t-shirt five times. Right. And we got that, you know, I was, I was on this trip on, it's called refuge. Um, it's a group that uh, really pastors pastors and keeps them in the fight, right? Um, and so we went out to Kansas City for a week and we were on like this ranch out there and it was awesome. And I met this guy, Greg Daly, who invited me to this, um, this net, like this mentorship group. And so this is where we, I met Pete Oakes. Um, he runs uh, uh, Capital Three, which is a, a holding firm for a bunch of different organizations. He's a believer. Um, he's been, we've met this group of five of us have met with Pete for the past, Going on four months every single Monday.
0: Wow. So
1: you get that many if we're going on two hours every week. So you get that you get that many entrepreneurs that are this busy, like meeting consistently on a Monday, you know the value is there, right? Um, and so it's been awesome. So Pete Oaks has been uh one of the biggest people speaking into my life right now from a business and entrepreneurship standpoint. Um and then pastors, I'd say pastors. I really learned to follow Jesus at my church in Dallas before I moved to New York. I've always been, I've always been a Christian and gone to church. I grew up, I grew up in church as a Catholic and and things like that. But I really learned to follow Jesus. Um, my pastor Earl McClellan at Shoreline in Dallas um, really taught me to follow Jesus in the in the team there. Um, and then really learning about discipleship and really. Helping other people follow Jesus is what I've really learned from, um, you know, Paul Andrew, Paul and Andy Andrew here, uh, who whom you and your wife know very well, um, here in New York. And so, I guess I'm I'm thankful for a lot of other people's yeses. You know, um, I benefit. I'm the beneficiary of a lot of other people's yeses, um, and I get to learn from them. And so, I'm very thankful for that. Thanks for asking that question because I think honoring leadership is is an important trait of being a good leader. Like if we don't honor the leaders that have taught us and shown us the path and have gone before us, it's, you, you're not really understanding what it is to lead then.
0: <laughs> and so what are then, what is one leadership lesson? No, actually two. What's two leadership lessons that you've learned through experiences that you've gone through, one positive and one negative? Mm. <sighs> and you can start with either. You can start with the positive one and then go with the negative one, but... You know, I'm conscious that, like, you're very reflexive. Um, Ben Smithy, when I was talking about you to a mate of mine the other day, like, when we had dinner in Philadelphia that time, Mm. watching you as that water droplet kept on kind of... (laughs) That, like, that you always did what I call the two W's, the wait and the what, every time you asked something, You waited... To conceptualize the question and then you saw clarification before answer which I don't think I've ever told you but really impressed me and you know I attempted to and continue to attempt to take that on. But what are two leadership lessons, one positive, one negative that has shaped your leadership posture and practice? Mm.
1: That's a great question. Uh thanks. I think from There's okay. I think it's easy. I don't know how to classify them as a positive or a negative because both could be perceived in 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 either way. My dad told me when I was a little kid, and I never really realized what that meant or the full extent of it until I got older. Um, my dad used to tell me all the time, he's like, "You're gonna have a hard time or be really disappointed because you expect too much out of people." And as a little kid, you don't understand that. You just, you, you know what I mean? Saying or whatever. But as I got older, there were some nuances of that. Um, he was completely right. Because the the higher you set your level of expectations, the more there is for people to, you know, not live up to those things. But, but I think the way he said it was very intentional because he was a very intentional person. He didn't say... You shouldn't expect so much from people, or you're always going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. He said, You will be disappointed because you expect too much from people. And it was almost this truth of like, set your heart, right? Guard your heart for that, but don't lower your expectations. Like, and in the positive way, like, expect he was almost encouraging me to continue to expect a high standard of people but just guard my heart from that disappointment because it doesn't, he didn't say they're bad. They're always going to, you know, like there was a very, it was a very general statement, but very intentional because there could have been a lot of other ways that he caveated it or a lot of the ways he said it that had a totally different meaning. Meaning. So I'd say that's number one. And while it has a negative sort of outer layer to it, it was one of the most positive pieces of advice that I've ever received. The second actually uh, is a saying that, that Paul uses a lot, not, not Paul in the Bible, Paul, Andrew, (laughs) from Liberty Church. He, one of the things he talks about in leading and leading a church that's built up of multiple communities, right, is that you in leadership, he's learned to, I want to make sure I don't screw it up, to hold people loosely, without loving them lightly hold people loosely, learn how to hold people loosely without loving them lightly. And that's so important as a leader, because as I've grown the business and we've built young people into the business and trained young people up, right? We have the, the mission, the vision statement of our, our company on the wall, you know, to inspire and empower people to create generational success, right? Doing awesome. another check mark. So in that piece of it, by definition there's going to be transition and change. You're growing leaders, you're growing people, and there's gonna be evolution and change and where they go on to the next thing. If I'm not clapping as loudly when people for them when they leave as they are when they came to the company, I'm not living out that mission. So to as a leader, some of the hardest things to do are to clap for people and hold them loosely in the organization without loving them lightly, like love them tremendously but hold on to them loosely. Otherwise you can't really live out. Well, I can't live out my calling if I don't really do that well. And to hear it put into words, I I thought that was just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, illustration of that, um, of what it means to be a a really like generational leader.
0: Wow. A lot of your work is in social media. How has it changed over the last few years and what what are some of your predictions in regards to social media over the next uh, five years? Yeah.
1: You mean specifically as it pertains to business and entrepreneurship and the, and the business climate?
0: Sure. Let's go there. Yeah.
1: It's interesting. I think that tactically, everyone's going to be talking about iOS and permissions and tracking and, and cookie data and all that type of stuff. But um that we don't need to geek out on that right now. So that's a big tactical change. So for all of you that are the the marketing and tech geeks of the world, that is that is absolutely a, a thing to watch. Um that said it's it's really hyped up and it it can be a non issue if you're really building a strong brand. But that said, I think social the biggest impact of social is uh we have to learn that the middle ground exists. Social media pushes everything to the pole, everything to the poles, right? Polar opposites. Um, whether it's politics, race, religion, anything, right? Social media pushes things to the outward poles because it's this machine that feeds you more of what you choose to consume, right? It's Social media is the biggest proponent of gluttony out there. And so in that space, I think one of the things we need to look for is a middle, a middle ground. And one of the biggest things I'm scared of for the future is that young people today are growing up in a space where they don't see middle ground very often. Mm. And social media has the power to help create that because it's the biggest connectivity in the world that we've seen, right? It has the power to connect people in a single tap of a button, you know? And then, and if we can use it in that way, it can be a very, very powerful tool to the future. And I'm betting on humanity's desire to find middle ground in that space. But used in the opposite way, it's a very powerful tool that pushes everything to the poles, right? And it's it, that's a scary thing to me. Uh, and so that's something I'm looking at on social from a, from a humanity standpoint is how are we using social to create and form middle ground? As a tool that gives us the opportunity to have a conversation with anyone is it really, are we using it as a tool to avoid having to have conversation between someone that we don't want to, right? And does the anonymity of a keyboard empower us to say only the negative things that we want to say or that we're, we would wish we could say? Or is it also empowering us to say the positive things to people that we're too embarrassed to say uh, as well? And I think that there's, it, it's just a tool social media is just a tool, technology is just a tool, the internet's just a tool for us to use. It unfortunately unmasks the humanity behind the tools, the users. And so I can't sit here and write in my right mind, bash a technology or social media or things for society because it's empowered so much good too. Unfortunately, it's just showing it's a it's a magnifying glass of, of humanity behind it and why I think that not to be um, so cliche, but why why we really do need Jesus, why we really do need faith, and why we really do need this in in our world more than ever right now.
0: And so have we have we as a society lost the ability to engage in public discourse or that skill of public discourse of of seeking understanding rather than seeking to be understood? Hmm.
1: I love that saying. No. Because if we look for it, we can find it, right? It's the whole Fred Rogers, like when 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 chaos is happening, like look for the good people. We just have to want to. And stuff happens fast, right? That's the that's the that's the beauty of it, is stuff can happen really fast. You can gain critical mass and momentum very quickly. And we've seen that in both the positive and the negative, the left, the right, whatever you whatever news source you want to follow. But all we have to do is get a a enough inertia and momentum of people looking for the good and contributing to the good, it's out there. We see it in spots, whether it was ice bucket challenge, whether it was GoFundMe campaigns, um, whether, you know, we see it in, in bits and pieces. It's just, um, and this is not a bash for media, or whatever, but it's just not clickbaity enough for the media to run with that. And regardless, left or right, whatever, it's not a political statement. It's just a truthful statement that it's not something that the media glamorizes as much. But I, I think that's where we just have to I believe I'm bullish on the future. I'm bullish on humanity in the future. We just got to look for it, it's there.
0: So my last question uh, is kind of like the common question at the end of each of these podcasts. How is one's imagination, both social and spiritual, shaped by your approach for leading and shaping those around you? How does Ben's relationship with Jesus contribute to the reorientation of you, our society?
1: I don't know the how, I only know the what. I don't know the how, I don't know the the will it, I don't know the how much will it, I don't know how my, the magnification of it, because that's just faith, right? The unknown is faith to me. And That's Jesus. I think that for me, I only know the I only know the what in the sense that I know what I'm doing, which is just living out my calling. I know what I'm doing is trying to exemplify what it means uh, to be a follower, to be a believer on a daily basis in every aspect of my life. I don't know how my company is going to change the world. I don't know how I don't know how God is going to use me today or tomorrow or the next day or the day after that, but I know what I'm devoted to, which is to being a follower and exemplifying that and being a disciple and hopefully a disciple maker on a daily basis. And some days I fail at that and some days I'm really good at it. And most of the days I'm somewhere in between. I don't know if I have a, a realistic answer to that of, of the how, I just know my role. And I think I'm think I think I'm okay with that being enough. <laughs>
0: That's good. Thanks, man. Ben, I really appreciate your time, my friend, and say hi to Nicole Forks.
1: I oh, will, man. I can't wait to hang out with you guys and, and see you guys soon.
0: Sure. Thanks so much, buddy.